It's not about the technology in the end. It's about the problem that you're solving. Hi, everyone. Welcome into HashMap on Tap. Thanks for listening in. Really appreciate you coming into the show today. I'm Kelly Koleffel. I'm really pleased to be joined today by Martin Mascheline, Martin's co-founder and CEO at Soda. They are a Brussels, Belgium-based open source data observability and monitoring platform for the modern data stack. They are going to help you address both data quality and data trust, two big, big issues today, as we all know. Prior to founding Soda, Martin spent a number of years with Calibre. Really looking forward to speaking today. Martin, hi, welcome into the show. And what are you drinking today? Hello, and thanks for having me, Kelly. Having a espresso from the hotel this morning. So I'm here in Austin, Texas for the, I was here for the Data Council Conference. That's excellent. We were chatting a little bit before the show. I'm just right down the road from you in Houston, and I would have loved to have made it over there for the conference. How's it going so far? Oh, it was amazing. 475 people, a lot of the vendors, a lot of announcements, a lot of post-conference parties. It was a very busy week this week, met a whole bunch of people. So yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Good sessions as well. So it's definitely worthwhile getting here with the team. That is fantastic. Did you bring a few more folks with you from Soda? Yes, we were six, six of us. So we just opened up office in the US. So the US team was here and we flew a couple of people over from Amsterdam and Brussels. And then, of course, while doing that, we brought a whole bunch of chocolates, <laughs> a whole bunch of beer. <laughs> That's our MO at conferences. That sounds wonderful. That You're really making me wish that I had made the time to go over there. Where's your office, Martin, in the U.S.? Where'd you open that up? We're a Delaware Corp, but we're thinking about opening office and around Colorado. Oh, very nice. Around the Denver area. Yeah. A lot of tech activity in that area. Very nice. And of course, you've got some of the best skiing in the U.S. for sure as well. So. The mountains and nature, it's an amazing place. Absolutely. Well, I love the fact you have the espresso. I've got an espresso today as well. Got one together very, very quickly just in the office here. So an espresso, you've got an espresso as well? Yes, I do. An espresso brand, espresso, I guess. So we'll enjoy these. Cheers. Looking forward to chatting more about soda. Why don't you do this? Take a moment, just a little bit about your background. I mentioned you spent a good amount of time at Calibre. I think you were a very, very early, I don't know if you're one of the founders, but certainly an early, early stage employee at Calibra. How you got even got interested in technology, I'm always fascinated by. And then kind of your little bit about your current role, founder and CEO at Soda, which is unique because you guys have this open source project approach, which now you're also commercializing. Right. How I got into technology, that was a long, long time ago. <laughs> Back when I was about, I think, 10 or 11, we had the first tech company in the area in Belgium. So that was very unique, very special. That was something usually was from the West Coast. So it was in a speech recognition. And they went public on Nasdaq as well. You know, we were able to visit it every year. So I got to see what things were going on. I got a piece of technology with me home on a, de- on a, on a floppy disk back in the days to test it out. I kind of already back then... I was asking my dad, can we, can I invest? Can I invest? <laughs> so it was from a long time ago, I was very interested in tech. Well, do you remember the name of the company, the speech recognition company? Yeah, it was LNH. They didn't do very well back in, in the end because they, there, were, there were a couple of scandals, I think, unfortunately, involved with it. The tech is still around. The name that stands out to me, I don't know them, but the name that stands out to me, there was a company, I think, called Dragon. 
at the time that did that speech recognition as well. Very, very interesting. And, and of course, how far from then, right, that it's come today where we probably use it all the time on our mobile devices and so forth. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. And again, throughout the, um, the years, I went into a more computer science direction. Information management always being like a topic that I really enjoyed ever since even the university. And then um, when I, um, I wanted to always wanted to found a company but uh, in technology, but I thought it was a better idea to first maybe spend a couple of years at one because I absolutely had no idea. <laughs> there was also a very small network around in Belgium. I went looking for one, ended up finding Colibra when they were less than 10 people. I was employee number five there, first in the go-to-market organization, you could say. So all the way from first contact and, and marketing activity to implementing the software and keeping customers happy and successful. So pretty broad range, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. Early days, the software startup is, well, you got a few employees doing everything, really. But you get to learn the ropes. The uh, Colibra team, uh, the founders are fantastic. So I've learned a whole bunch there. Spent six years at Colibra doing a variety of roles, kind of jumping in where needed. I think that's what often happens with early employees. For the last two years of my uh, career there, moved to New York and helped set up an operations function there for the go-to-market team, as well as some inside sales and SDR uh, teams. So that was a, a very fun experience. But then after six years, decided to uh, venture off. I thought, hmm, I've seen a whole bunch of things here. I think I can apply some myself. Yeah, it's really interesting because you, you know, especially such early stage with Calibra and a company that's been very successful over that six-year period that you were there and beyond, certainly you you see a lot. You go, ooh, that would be nice to replicate, you know, if I start something else on my own. You also see some things, oh, you know, I'd probably uh, shift that or pivot that a little bit from what I've seen. Anything that stands out to you kind of on both of those dimensions that you either replicated when you started Soda that you learned or, or really felt like was done well at Calibra? Because it is a different model, right? I mean, it's Calibra is not open source. So to me, that's a huge difference. You took a, a completely different approach. But anything that you, you took a similar and maybe something that you said, yeah, I'd like to do that different. What you pick up is how you organize teams, right? And what all the roles and responsibilities are. And I think that really helps you structure and make sure it creates uh, efficiency. But what I particularly liked about Calibra approach was that they always were extremely good in figuring out why somebody was doing data management and helping them achieve those goals, not really seeing it as a technology, but more as a solution that solves many different problems and, and use cases. And I think that was a very valuable lesson. It's not about the technology in the end. It's about the problem that you're solving. Totally agree. That's a commercial model. You went open. What went into your thinking to try to take that different approach like that? I'm just curious. Well, I want to get into soda and everything that you guys are doing, but I'm just curious on that because that's a very different model that you decided to go down. So what I disliked, and I dislike it in general, I think, of software companies more and data that take five years ago or so, it's not always easy to really kind of start using it or figure it like let the technology help you immediately. And that's something that um, I disliked. There were always lengthy kind of commercial processes or do demos and, and RFPs and all of these kind of steps. But using the software happened after the software was purchased. It didn't seem like an efficient process. And especially when there's a component that can provide value to an individual user. And if that's a technical user, 
and both of these were the case for us, then we could take a different approach. We could go provide open source software, grow that, help provide value. And that's working very, very well for us. My co-founder, Tom, does have a lot of experience in doing that. He did it a couple of times already. So that helped. I wouldn't have been so confident venturing into it without his expertise there. But it is unbelievable because we sometimes we get an incoming request saying, hey, you know, we, we want to talk. We want to see what your cloud product is all about. It's like, okay. And then you get introduced and then you understand that they've been using our software and open source in production for <laughs> a couple of months. They've integrated into all of their tools. They've contributed codes. <laughs> that happened to us recently with Disney. It is fun. It's an absolutely fantastic motion. It's got to be such an incredibly gratifying confirmation, too, of the path that you've gone down when you have those clients that come in and go, it's not net new. Hey, we've been using the open source version. We just want to do more now. We want to take advantage of some of these additional capabilities, features, and other things that you're building into Soda Cloud. Very, very cool. Another thing that I was thinking as you were talking and your philosophy behind why you and your co-founder went down this path, by giving me a chance to get hands-on with the technology, actually use it, not just in a little, you know, small trial type fashion, you remove some risk for me. I can really see, is this going to be fit for purpose for me or not? And, and maybe if it's not in the beginning, I've got this incredible avenue to request and, and potentially even contribute back, as you said. Oh, yes. The contribution is in the end kind of what you're also doing it for. And it's also there I've learned that a lot of software engineers, developers, they they love contributing to open source. It helps them create a more public profile. It, it helps them help other people while they're kind of can play with the technology and implement it in their own organization. So there's there's a lot of advantages. It's really nice to see that community of contributors grow as well. It is very cool. And you guys have a Slack community as well, right? That looks like it's growing very, very active. I'm a part of it as well. So maybe you see a, a Slack message or two from me in there. Hey, I was going to ask you, Martin, Is does any data company stand out? Let's go aside from Soda. Any data company stand out to you in the open source space that you go, wow, they've, they've really done a fantastic job of not only developing this open source model and approach, but also have that, you know, like you're doing, that soda cloud commercialization aspect to it. Anybody that, I don't want to say that you're trying to emulate or model after, but somebody else in the space that stands out that is doing a nice job right now. I think it's almost probably almost too obvious. There's one really sticking out. And that's, of course, the people from uh, DBT. I think they're definitely sticking out. There's more kind of projects in, in the different parts of the stack, all the way from the infrastructure components, whether it's a CICD or, or a compute, or there's a lot of things happening there in open source, the ingest level, with, for example, Airbyte and the transformation layer. So there's across those layers, we see increasing amount of open source companies. We strongly feel that there soon will be an open source data stack just only open source components. I think there's well something like a LAMP stack, for example, again, I think in the web development, that was an all open source thing end-to-end. -end. I think that's definitely happening. DBT sticks out simply because I think they were able to really do something quite innovative with the Terraform for data transformation. I think it's about how I often describe it. This is quite new and innovative, and it, it brought software engineering principles into the data space. 
I mean, there's so many software engineers coming into the data space, so it makes a lot of sense to do that. And they've also kind of almost carved out a persona that is kind of a persona that sits in the business that does data transformations. Yeah, that what they've done is very, very impressive. Another one to me that stands out too, you talked about the orchestration layer as well. Prefect, the team at Prefect, I think doing a really nice job. Very similar model to yours, very similar model to DBT as well. Taking you know that open source based approach and then having that commercial cloud model. Prefect has some amazing customers as well that we come across. And one of our users, of course, already did the, uh, the integration in open source and contributed that. They're indeed another player in our space that's doing very well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Enough about other organizations and companies. Interesting discussion. I think we could probably stay on that all day. I really want to hear about Soda. I'd like to hear about a little bit more about the decision process and then take us through who Soda is today in terms of an open source project, where you're going with Soda Cloud as a commercial product and just where you're looking to take the overall vision. So our team now is uh, we're about 40 spread across Europe and the U.S. Quite a big part of that was initially focused on some of the open source capabilities and making sure that we have a very simple, easy to pick up and use, very strong kind of foundation for a framework for kind of quality and reliability management in, in organizations. When heads of data are looking to add capabilities to their data platform and even self-serve capabilities so that everyone in the company can start using these, they have an easy choice that there's a couple out there. We dare provide a couple of USPs like flexibility, simplicity, etc. We haven't really invested a lot in the go-to-market team for open source. And that's something that we're transitioning to now. We're um, hiring, for example, DevRel people, developer advocates, but an entire team around our open source, maybe dedicated people to social and events, to, for example, doing the documentation for open source, making sure that there's proper attention to it, etc. So investing more in go-to-market there. And then for... Open source, kind of technically, the next steps are very likely kind of making it easier for the ecosystem to contribute into the framework. So whether you have your consulting company that, for example, works with financial services customers and you have to do certain specific types of checks within that domain that you can easily contribute that and that we can create more of an ecosystem that provides accelerators. And that's definitely one of the areas that we're venturing into there. Very interesting. I love what you said about the community, too. And one of the things to me, if you've never been involved in the open source community, there's so many avenues and options. And you talked about documentation. You go, okay, well, I don't necessarily have to be a developer or a software engineer to contribute to an open source project. Maybe I'm just really good at technical documentation and I can assist in that way and become a contributor to the Soda project. Exactly. <laughs> that happens. I think documentation are so crucial as well. And it happens very often that people point out, hey, you know, this here, or like people contribute even the smallest things, but that make it so nice, you know, when you then read the documentation, it's just perfect. That's great. Over the years, as I've been involved with open source data projects, I think it's something that is, can be, and I'm not saying it is with Soda, but what I've seen over the years with other projects, maybe it's a little bit of an afterthought, right? So it's something that can make you stand out. As a project, it's also something that if it's, you know, an afterthought, it gets to be an issue. So yeah, that's very, very cool. 
data observability, data monitoring, any kind of just definition or sort of the core tenets around that, Martin, that you hold to as you're continuing to develop the SOTA project? Most people already know this, for example, concepts like monitoring may not be the, the coolest or sound the newest, but don't have to forget a lot of people are actually not doing much today. So even the monitoring of, of metrics, for example, with some anomaly detection or like your data health metrics, that is, I think, a very valuable thing to do. I would say monitoring is typically more metric-based. I think that's one definition. Data observability, that is more about giving users the ability to analyze why a certain problem happens is, I think, a key part of the incident management workflow. To analyze it, you need to slice and dice information, maybe correlate different types of information as well. And the metrics that you monitor are one piece of information. But there's can, of course, be a lot more. And that's, for example, the ability to hop into Prefect or hop into DBT and figure out, oh, this event or this thing happens, a pipeline failure at the same time. So this is probably the root cause. Observability to me is why are issues uh, happening? And that's the question really that it solves or addresses. Yeah, very good. And you mentioned, we talked about them earlier, but Prefect and DBT, you guys have, it looks like, done a lot of work to get this initial, I'll call it the coalition of the willing in terms of technology partners that are, you know, part of this SOTA ecosystem, right? I know we're kind of jumping around today, but how did you think about that? Who was at the top of the list? Why were they at the top of the list? It's more than that, obviously, but how do you think about that today, Martin? As a data company, we're, we're extremely focused on the ecosystem. And that translates in a number of things that like what and how we do certain things. For us, if you think about it, where do we start? Well, it very often starts with giving data engineers the ability to kind of plug it in into their ecosystem. The integrations with data orchestration or workflow tools, like for example, Astronomer, Airflow, any of those systems really, prefects are key to get right and to make super easy. Operators, for example, that's where we started with integrations. And then we ventured into integrations with data discovery platforms. Why was that? Well, I think a lot of companies are also implementing search and discovery of data sets or search of the data mesh, if you will, what's available on the data mesh. And as people search for data and find it, say, hmm, okay, interesting. There's maybe some business annotation, what the data means. There's some information about quality and how the issues we've had recently and who I can also reach out to learn more or speak about this data set. That piece of information is what we provide. It's an output almost of our system. We augment we augmented data catalogs and, and uh, data discovery tools, really. And that was definitely because of popular customer demands. So that was a second uh, type of integration. Then integration with communication tools is whether that's Slack or Pager Duty or any system that you use, maybe for also for on-call. So those integrations became definitely important soon as well. Let's see if there's other types. Well, your data sources, the more sources you can support, the better view across your landscape you can create. And then you start with SQL predominantly, but we also ventured into Spark and streaming. The technology is very, very similar, but the foundations on, on streaming, it's not a Python application, it's a Flink app, for example, that does very similar things. Those are all areas that we ventured in on. I'm not sure if I'm missing any. 
and then incident management and ticketing tools, I think will be the last category. Yeah. Yeah. So things like ServiceNow, et cetera. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. All right. You brought it up. You mentioned data mesh. Actually, I'd looked at a, I think you had been, I don't know if it's an article that you wrote or, or maybe you were quoted in with your co-founder where you were talking about some of the differences and just compares and contrasts data fabric, data mesh, and terminology is being thrown around a lot. I just kind of open-ended. Any thoughts on data mesh, data fabric, and how that could affect us as data professionals that are you know, looking to do more with you know, current data sets and so forth? Data mesh is, I think, a very, very good way today. To, it's maybe not for all companies necessarily right now, right? but it contains a set of opinions, really, about how we probably should work based on some experiences. And these experiences come from experience from already 10, 15 years ago, implementations of data governance and what went wrong really in data governance with the innovations that came from the technology space and from those software engineering principles that were being brought into and product management principles are being brought into the data space. That mix is a very interesting one because it's quite opinionated about how to do things and it does solve a number of problems, especially linked to like scalability and how fast you can go as a data and analytics team. So yeah, I think it was a very good and refreshing innovation. It was very nice to read the book and actually read it a couple of times because each time you do, there's some new things that you see or, uh, or learn about. Yeah, I agree. Last I looked, I think the Starburst team had made that book available, the Data Mesh book. So yeah, very, very cool. We can link that up as well. Hey, let me ask you, Martin, what is the biggest data challenge that you hear from your community and from your clients right now? The biggest thing is, it also links back, we can actually link it back to part of what the Mesh tries to solve. One of the biggest problems is that data products nowadays, they break, things fail, and people don't know about it, and that erodes trust in data. I think trust is really hard to regain while uh, when you lost it. Technology around finding and preventing and problems in data is a key one. And especially there, where the bottleneck today is, is that data engineers are too heavily involved in setting up controls and checks on data. And it's really ultimately not only their job, it's a team sport. The people that live in the business, they know the data extremely well, what the expectations on the data should be. So it's about having them participate and creating a new culture around how we work with data. And that involves more stakeholders, has, that gives more clear roles and responsibilities to everyone involved. I think that's still a, a very big challenge. So that's what we see most teams try to focus on, uh, creating that new way of working really with data. Really interesting you talk about that. I think everyone, it seems like today, wants to be involved regardless of role. You go back maybe a generation or two in these types of solutions, tools, and addressing, you mentioned some of the challenges with the data governance space in general, and it was you know kind of all the responsibility of the, call it the IT data steward maybe, and in the IT organization. And to your point, I mean, I've got data scientists, I've got business analysts, I've got analytics engineers, I've got data engineers, I've got other owners and key stakeholders in this data space, and everybody wants to be involved. I don't know that anybody wants direct responsibility for the overall governance of that. How do we kind of share that responsibility, you know, and some of the tools like in technologies and approaches, it can't all be tools, but those things, bringing them together in principles, some of the data mesh principles, I think are really interesting to kind of 
share that responsibility, which is really challenging going back to your point on how do I get that really strong trust in my data? Yes. One of the most interesting pieces there, in my opinion, is the this notion of data contracts or, or data agreements. It's something you can that is entirely needed, I think, at uh, companies because people use or, or start relying on other people's data sets without really saying, hey, you know, I'm using it for this purpose and this is kind of what I expect every day and are you able to, to help me deliver on this? That conversation is, is not really happening. This is very much of a, a way of working, right? It is something you do because ultimately you know it's going to be much better if you do. So that is, uh, but the technology, the tools to simply do that were not there. I mean, you could write it down in an email, but then what? And that's the thing with the release that we did this week and uh, also announced here in Austin is so the CL, the checks language, that is really there to help teams write those agreements, those data sharing agreements when they hand over data that they can say, hey, this is uh, some of the character- quality characteristics or reliability characteristics that I'm going to deliver on. So that's, to me, and uh, one of the most exciting parts, I think, in, uh, that's going on right now. Really interesting. So this new release, any other major capabilities or features or anything that came out in that? It was moving a bit more into from a kind of more generic YAML configuration language to, to set up your checks. We went into kind of developing a, a DSL, domain-specific language, for this problem. Yeah, SQL is way too generic to solve this problem. So you need some form of functions, I often call them. That It's like in Excel, right? You can just use a couple of functions to do things, and it's very quick. So you need the same thing for data reliability and quality. And that's a release that came out this week. So it's in public beta, so it's a preview right now. We think in, in about a month or two, with the help of the community, it will become an extremely stable release and, and be used in, in production. It's much easier to set up checks really now. Even with like a for each contract construct, so for all tables with these characteristics, I'm going to deploy all these checks, for example. So super easy to get these things done. If you looked forward maybe 12 to 24 months from a, both a open source community perspective and then where the overall vision is that the community and SOTA is looking to go, apart from individual features or anything, anything that stands out directionally for you that's some of those big areas that you're looking to address or, or that the community is really asking for right now that are in the roadmap? I think the biggest ask we get now is how do we make others fully self-serve? How can we make, give this to the, to, to the business users as much as possible so that the engineers are not the bottleneck anymore? I think that's the big question, and that's what we're solving for in the, in the next couple of months. Upcoming releases are definitely going to be all about that. Are you looking to address that from a user experience or a UI perspective? What's the vision for helping address that business use capability? The, the business user doesn't really like any maybe files or, you know, (laughs) GitHub, definitely not. But we do want all of that version controlled, right? We do, even just for regulatory purposes, it's a checkbox and it's, it's, I think it's important. So you want to have those foundations that are rooted into software engineering and version control, for example, but still you want to give a business user, a user interface that can just say, hey, I'm going to create an agreement. These are all the checks on one right or I want to get some of the automated alerts as well. And then the software look, oh, okay, you're depending on these three, four data sets. These are the people that own them. 
let's bring them all together in a workflow so that we can see if we can deliver on these new expectations in support of a new data product, for example. So that workflow is what we're bringing to Soda Clouds. And I'm very, very excited about that because we've done some early research on doing it with the UX and how, like, can the business user do it? And then those results have been very positive. So I'm really looking forward to the impact, you know, how much impact we can make with that. What's the vision for how quickly, once all of that takes place, or at least some of the initial capabilities happen within the project, as a business user, how quickly would you think I could be productive in the context of Soda? I think 15 to 30 minutes is the goal. That's just, I think if you do much more than that, I think you need to learn, of course, the domain a little bit. A new user will be confronted with yeah, concepts like data health or data issues, and that will take a little bit of time. And then building or setting up new checks and expectations, that's going to be super easy because we, we recommend based on the data, the data types, things that we see, we can help the user out. And they can just copy and paste snippets or doing it a full WYSIWYG style version. That should be half an hour um, and the user is, is up and running. Oh, this is fascinating. I want to shift gears just a little bit into, uh, I mean, just generally maybe some of the go-to-market motions that you have. You talked about earlier, Martin, I think developer advocates and community advocates. What's worked so far to at least start getting the word out about Soda, about the project, about where you're going with Soda Cloud? And then yeah, I don't know if you want to expand a little bit more on some of those go-to-market motions that you're thinking about over the next, say, 12 to 24 there's two motions. Ultimately, there's the bottom-up and top-down. I recently learned, actually, it's bottom-up, bottom-out as well. So other teams within a company start adopting it. So those both motions, we, we want to support. We want to spread the word as fast as possible, get as many teams on board as possible. So yeah, the bottom-up, I think we've explained to you, or we've talked about, the earlier success was predominantly... Each time, for example, you go to a conference and speak about it, it gives a little boost. Each time there's a public conversation where you're mentioned, there's a boost. When there's a user who has implemented it and they write an, an article about it. So it's all of these things that give it, that help it grow. And we want to make sure that we invest in those areas, that we can maximize the impact. And then at the same time, we very often get companies that, as we talked about earlier, they have it up and running and they want to do more. And those typically have, depending on their size, have slightly different requirements around security, around certain features that the enterprise really requires. And for that, we've set up a more of a traditional kind of SaaS motion with account executives and solution engineers and that really do more of a top-down go-to-market motion. You talked about earlier to some of the challenges in a full-on non-open source type model where you go through these long drawn out, not only contract negotiations, but product reviews and all those kind of things. How do you see that balance where you keep it easy on me as a potential soda cloud consumer, but you still have a little more rigor in the process because you talked about having this, at least starting off, having maybe AESE teams that are assisting with that because that can get that can get lengthy and complex very, very quick, right? Yes, but that's what some companies want and require. That's their internal procurement process just follows a certain set of steps. There's nothing we can do about it. It does get easier when the software is already in use, though. It typically either fast tracks or they go through a different process sometimes. 
But still, I think you need it. It's inevitable. When you want to service all companies, it's just inevitable. Not everything can go through a credit card, uh, unfortunately. What about thinking about just clients in general, the community in general, what qualities do you see? And maybe this is less about soda, just more what your perspective is. Kind of qualities maybe that define a healthy data-driven culture and mindset. And it doesn't have to be, I have this, you know, 10 out of 10 maturity level in my company around data, but what do you see, even for maybe somebody who's just starting out going down this path, what stands out to you from an organization with a healthy data-driven culture? One area that, that definitely stands out is when they have clearly defined kind of roles and responsibilities, have a mature set of tools or have a maturity around the tools and platform choices that they've made. I think mature organizations have really thought about tooling in different areas like infrastructure, like data integration, like reliability and quality and discovery and privacy and protection. So they've thought about all of these areas and have put in place people and processes around, for example, managing incidents or about growing the adoption within a company, etc. Mature data teams are actually data-driven. They look at what all of their users in the data organization or data mesh, what are they doing? How involved are they in our best practices and principles? So they measure that and see how they can improve. But then again, I mean, that's very mature, sometimes very large data organizations. Very small ones are often less decentralized or typically just a couple of central people in a data team. And they can also have a good and healthy setup. And it's a much easier setup when you're just a few people and still think about all of these different areas, but have it less kind of spread out in terms of adoption and use. That is totally fine just as well. Thinking about all the areas in data management, what should we be doing? What does good look like when working with data is, is definitely recommended. And yeah, you see it across the board that companies are investing in it. I liked what you said earlier, too, about you were talking about go to market motion, but that bottom out, maybe you that helps give an indication as well. How pervasive is that bottom out approach to really having this, you know, seeing that this data culture is really advancing within an organization? I thought that was really an interesting observation. Speaking of growing, do you have personally a go to interview question that when you're talking to someone, whether it's an engineer, whether it's maybe somebody that you're looking to help grow the community or go to market? market team that is one that you just doesn't really matter the role. You're just always going to ask this. Yep. I'm always going to ask what makes the clock tick in the end. Always want to know exactly what makes a candidate happy. What are they really happy doing, but also what do they not like doing? I'm not a believer in writing a job description and then always finding the exact perfect match for that exact job description. You could have two people actually do a much better job than one person could by just splitting up the responsibility. So I think that's also where I'm always diving into deeper to really understand that. What do you like doing? You, know? you had just talked about you know, really looking for, like you said, makes the clock tick for that person as it relates to the role. And there's certain things that make each of us tick related to a company that we're participating in as well. And I was just curious if that was part of what you were looking for too with that question. Like would soda, regardless of the role, would soda be a nice fit for this particular person? Ultimately, you want to evaluate that in both ways. One, do we feel that this person is going to be successful at our company? Is definitely what you try to evaluate. 
but also does this person fit into the culture that we already have today? Will they be happy here? Like, will this culture really align and work for them? So those are definitely two angles that we're deeply investigating and diving very deep into, because that really is what makes also a company great to work at, that it has a strong culture, a strong way of working especially in a fully remote context. Absolutely. And I mean, in today's hiring scenarios too, which are really tough, regardless of the type of organization that you are in tech, I mean, the more you filter it, the more you filter it. Hey, well, am I, am I going to lose this candidate now due to something else? Hey, let me ask you, let me ask you, Martin, because I know we have a number of other, well, certainly founders, co-founders, but also aspirational entrepreneurs that listen in. Any advice that you would give to someone that potentially is either thinking about, maybe has an idea that wants to start their own, whether it's an open source project, get that kicked off, or their own company for the first time? Probably the most important thing when doing this is to speak with a lot, a lot, a lot of people in the data space that have data teams and really try to figure out what is the, the problem that what keeps them up at night. And what is the problem they really, really want to solve? How are they thinking about solving it? So what would be also the ideal first capability? If they would build it themselves, what would the first thing be that you built? So going very deep into that and, and then start defining something small, an MVP that you can really test out and that you can do proof of concept around, I think is a good approach. Don't start building. <laughs> Just start with speaking with a lot of people and refrain from building software. Yeah. Don't build and hope. I hear what you're saying there, which is really good. When you went through that process with Soda, was it very evident what the problem statement or the problem focus was going to be? Or in going through that feedback loop with folks that had data teams and these struggles and everything, were there two or three or four or five that you you said, hmm, I could maybe select any one of those and frame up a, not only the problem statement more clearly, but also build a company around? Or was it just this one very evident thing? No, there were multiple. We also see that that other companies in our space have gone through it and have chosen a different path. <laughs> but see, I think the key option, for example, that we had that would significantly have altered the course of the company was, do we believe that automation first in this space? Or do we believe it's a problem more about taking tested knowledge from people in the business and pulling that out and leveraging that? And we felt that automation in this, we did some box and I think it's definitely helpful, but it doesn't provide a whole bunch of value. I think where most of the value is in the problems that companies already know and already handle, they handle it currently in, in very inefficient ways. By nature of that choice, we chose to work with companies that are a bit further on their maturity as well, journey and curve. But it doesn't mean, of course, that we cannot service other companies. Maybe today it is for them, it might not be the best choice. This has been fantastic. I feel like we could just keep going. I I did want to ask, maybe just to wrap up, is there anything that you want to give visibility to as it relates to Soda, the community in general, and we're glad to link it up in there? Maybe something that you have coming up later on that we haven't already talked about. Happy to provide that. I think other than joining our community on Slack or getting involved, trying out open source, I'll definitely recommend just in half an hour you can get to know, understand what it does. Other than that, we also have the Soda podcast. We're doing a new kind of series that's coming up 
We're going to speak with some extremely interesting guests as well, more deeply around like data reliability management, for example, data quality management. So how does that work? And that's upcoming soon as well on our end. Very cool. Very cool. If you have the link to that so that folks can get it or, you know, how to access that would be awesome. The Slack community, super simple to get involved with that. And looks like it is growing very, very fast as well. Do you want to do a quick lightning round? I know we're probably a little over time, but you want to do a quick lightning round to finish this off? These are just simple questions. It won't take long. Go for it. Is there a technology, Martin, that you can't live without in your role at Soda? Slack. Yeah. I'm right there with you. What time of day are you most productive and most creative? Evening. Evening time for both of those. Actually, yes. Yeah, cool. And you're based out of the the Brussels area. Is there a go-to cook-at-home meal or takeout delivery meal that you really enjoy? Yeah, especially during COVID. I enjoyed pasta carbonara a bit too much, I think. <laughs> I'm a big pasta guy as well. I love it. Okay, so if you put your mobile device to the side, maybe your laptop to the side for a little while, anything that you enjoy doing when you're at home, kind of unplugging, if you unplug from your tech for a while. Yes, that is playing Age of Empires too. Oh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. I love real-time strategy games. Love it. Last question. Is there another company that you are watching closely right now? Could be in the data space, could be in a whole nother sector that you have your eye on. I would say I'll keep my eye on what the big guys out there are doing, what Snowflake and Databricks, what their plans are, I think is an interesting one to follow. Really good. Really good. Martin, thank you so much for joining HashMap on Tap today. This has been a lot of fun, great observations and insights, and really had a good time getting a chance to speak to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun as well, Kali. So um, hopefully we could do one in the future as well. That would be fantastic. Would love it. You know, for those of you that have not checked out Soda yet, you really should. You've got tons of open source benefits, data observability, data reliability, data quality, data trust. Those are all things that we're chasing all the time. Get involved with the community, join Slack, and potentially even start contributing. It's probably a lot easier than you think if you've never done it before. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We appreciate each one of you. encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Visit us at hashmapinc.com. Send us any feedback or comments. We would love to hear from you, and we will see you soon on another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.